Um, just to give you an example, we had the biggest proposal that we were ever going to make. It was a multi-million dollar uh, order that we were trying to get. Biggest one our company had ever, ever gotten. So I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. And I said, just listen, and every time you hear a verb that they use in one of those three, what we call modalities, or they're just uh, five, the five senses, that's three of them, make a, uh, a pitch to say, we're here to do, to, we're gathering information on, on what are the, what exactly do you want from us? And uh, in the process of doing that, I wonder if you could tell us, have you ever done business with a company and you told them exactly, uh, an IT company, and you told them exactly what you wanted, and they really let you down. They were overrun costs, they were late, they were making errors and everything. Have you ever had that? Oh, yeah, we've had that happen before. And so, um, well, um, tell me about a specific time when you, when you did that. And I don't know if you can hear this or not. This clicking. Yeah, no, we can. So while they're while they're telling you, you just you just um, this is the CEO of the company. He just um, thinking, oh, I'll be done. Oh, that's terrible, man. That ever happened again? Another? Yeah, we had a different one. Yeah, that was even worse. You know, let me tell you about that one. You know, and you're just in a click in the pen, you know. And so you say, well. Um, Tell you what, let's shift gears the other way. Did you ever do business with one that was great? They surprised you. They were fabulous. They were under budget. They were on time. They did everything more than what you thought they were going to do. Yeah, we had, we only had one of those, but we did have one. Well, tell me about that. Well, I'll be darned. That's really, that's really interesting. Um, and then what happened, you know? And, and he's just you know, pulling on his earlobe a little bit like that. So now that's setting the stage. That's covert. That's called anchoring. And so we say, okay, well, thank you. We got the information we need, and we're going to come back, and we'll, uh, next week we'll have our proposal ready. We'll, we'll make the pitch. So same group comes back the next time, and, and they lay out their proposal. And at the end of it, the CEO says, well, you know, um, it it looks to us like uh, you've got a choice to make. Um, you could you could either do business with our competitors, or you could do business with us. So now do business with our competitors. That's all the bad experiences that clicking's knocked in. Or doing business with us. That's the time when you had a really good experience, and and they got the order and. And maybe would have anyway. So this isn't going to make somebody do something against their will or anything. But it just says, all things being evil, uh, <laughs> evil, equal, um, that's going to help push you uh, over the edge and, and, and get the order. Well, after that, the CEO said, I don't want anybody going out on any sale calls until you talk to Art and get him to tell you about the ear pulling and the pen Dr. Art Emmerich, uh, thank you for joining us at Against the Herd. Uh, this is, I, you know, I speak, I've been talking about this. I've been talking to all my friends. Uh, I've been, uh, I've been glowing 
thinking about this. Um, maybe we could start off with what are you most known for? Well, um, I would say probably uh, I have a, a kind of a unique approach to my practice. So in the hypnosis community, um, they think I'm very strange because I said I was, you know, in DuPont for so many years. And if you were in DuPont and you were going to give a talk to somebody, if you didn't have a PowerPoint slide, you might as well not even show up because nobody's going nobody's to pay any attention. So I got PowerPoint uh, crazy and uh, all my clients come to see me. I see them one time generally. The meeting lasts for four hours, and in that time, I have about 120 PowerPoint slides that I want to cover with them. I do a lot of teaching, and I'm gathering information um, to say, um, basically, I'm going to be making a 30-minute uh, recording um, for you to accomplish the goal. That recording is my way of installing neurological patterns um, into your unconscious mind. And um, the neurology is going to be altered in such a way that your new behaviors just spontaneously come out when you want them. It's no, no big effort on your part at all. No willpower, no determination. It's just a natural process of behavior shifting. Yeah. And so what, how did you get into this? Like, what was it that kicked for you and just took you down this journey? Well, I, I was um, uh, at the Savannah River plant. Uh, I was the uh, finance director for the laboratory. Um, we made uh, plutonium and tritium for the weapons program, uh, the government contract DuPont had. And one day uh, the phone rang, my boss said, hey Art, uh, I want you to go to Washington DC and represent the lab. Uh, all the research directors, research managers totally slammed. They can't go. Would you represent the lab? I said, I would love to. Um, what's the conference? And he said, oh, it's a big uh, Atomic Energy Commission's got this big nuclear safety conference. And that's what it is. I said, well, you know, I could go, but I don't know squat about <laughs> nuclear safety. So he said, don't worry about it. All you got to do is wear the big badge. They can see you're from Savannah River and go around and shake hands and, you know, and just be a, a representative of the lab. And you don't, you don't have to do anything uh, other than that. But sure, I, I'll go. So a two-day conference. So we had to welcome uh, about 30-minute welcome. Now, there's a couple hundred people there. I think all of them are nuclear engineers or nuclear scientists or except me, <laughs> and so they started breaking up, going into their subgroups, and I'm looking around there, what in the heck am I gonna do for two days now? And I found a subgroup called Organizational Transformation. And I thought, well, that's me, I'm an OD consultant, an organizational development consultant, so I wanna, I wanna transform DuPont, I gotta learn how to do it. So there were two guys, and they made a presentation uh, from nine to 12, uh, three hours, and at the end of that three hours, I was on fire. I mean, I was just, I knew what they were talking about, sort of, but I wasn't sure. And so I said, guys, I'm going to be back in, in the two to five session. They said, it's the same thing over here. I said, that's all right. 
I, I, I really, I, it's like drinking from a fire hose. I can't get it fast enough. So I'll be, and, and I'll be here tomorrow for both sessions too. <laughs> okay, if you, you want to hear the same thing. So what they talked about was um, an army process for creating high performance teams. And they said, what if you had 20 guys and um, you had um, a month to spend with them and at the end of that month, they were gonna have to be so tightly welded into a high performance team that they would give their lives for each other. How would you do that? And I said, I have no idea. And they said, we didn't either until we found this. And I said, well, what, do you, what is it? And they said, we call it um, covert linguistic influence. And I said, okay, great. Another military mouthful. Uh, what, what is it really? And they said, it's hypnosis. And I said, you mean you're using hypnosis to create high performance teams? They said, it's not only the best way to do it. As far as we're concerned, it's the only way to do it. And I said, okay, mm -hmm. I got it. I'm going to go back and transform DuPont, <laughs> which I, which I did working. I was a corporate hypnotist for DuPont. Uh, oh, I didn't tell them or they would have fired me if they'd know what, what I was doing, but, uh, but I was doing it covertly, just like they taught me to do but below covert means below the level of conscious awareness. It was all happening, you know, but you couldn't, you couldn't. Wow. See it. So that's how I got into it formally. And that led to certifications by um, the three largest uh, hypnosis certification organizations. We're not licensed. That's one of the things. The field is not licensed. So uh, you can be certified, um, but, you, but you can't be licensed. So, so anyway, um, I um, just have stayed with it. I now have the largest hypnosis library in the state of Florida. I'm a bookie. I, I study all the time. I'm just doing research and work on because I, I want to bring in as much uh, quantum physics, um, chemistry, biology. Dr. Bruce Lipton is one of my heroes who wrote the biology of belief. He's a research cellular biologist who, who believes strongly in hypnosis, which, uh, you know, makes it makes him very popular with us. And so, so I, I just that's that's how I got into the formal uh, thing. I've always, you know, back in the, this is going to really date me, but back in the '40s, they used to have fabulous stuff that you could you could get a, a comic book, and in the back it say said two ninety eight for the book on how to hypnotize your friends and you know and have fun. And I'd send for all this stuff, and I never got it to work, but I was I was on it even back when I was a preteen, uh, just fascinated with the idea of what can the mind do and how does it work? And, you know, that, that type of thing was always fascinating to me. And could you walk us through what you saw in terms of the impact? And I think this is going to really relate to you and I, Nick. Yeah, I, I, um, uh, joined this company and, um, like, like you said, just a couple hundred people. And uh, so I, I started with the senior management team, uh, the CEO of the company, chairman of the board, uh, head of sales, head of marketing, head of uh, technology, head of implementation, all, all the head 
people that made things happen. Um, I would hypnotize all of them that I could and, and tell them, you know, that this is, this is high performance team building and, and, um, you know, this is how we're going to do it. So we cover typical business things, planning, problem solving, decision making, um, all the things that go on in a, in a business, but doing it in a way that, um, it was like building a, a core mind for the company and everybody could join in. We, we spoke the same language. We understood the same processes for how you do things. And then we could very quickly just jump right in and get going on things. Um, so what are, you know, what, if you had to summarize to somebody who, again, as Bruce mentioned earlier, we all know the, the classic idea of stage hypnosis, but what would you define it as in, in you know, maybe a business circumstance? Well, a neuro-linguistic program is kind of a first cousin to hypnosis. It, well, some people have said it's hypnosis without the trance. So uh, neuro, that's our five senses. Um, linguistic says we, we can't transmit information directly at the raw sensory data level. We have to put words on stuff. So if you went to a great concert and I and I saw you the next day, I said, how was the concert? And you said, it was fantastic. I, I have no idea what the concert was like. I, I know your appraisal of it, but I don't know anything about it. I don't know how it felt. I don't know how it tasted or smelled or, you know, or, or any any of the, the raw sensory data. And so we're we're stuck with words. That's the closest we can come. And and that's words are how we understand ourselves what happened we, we talk to ourselves all the time and and we say that was a great concert well great is a elephant word nope you know it could mean anything but you have it connected with all these sensory impressions that you got from the concert that i won't have when you're telling me and you couldn't use enough words to recreate that concert for me i, I if you're not there you missed it that's too bad so that's the linguistic part that we we have to be aware of the language you use and what it means. Programming says that we we use words uh, to write little subroutines for ourselves, and and so um, and that's the way we, we program ourselves to do certain things that we want to do. So it's it's a it's the structure of of uh, experience based on the language that's used. It's very, very linguistically oriented. Now, hypnosis, to me, is a process word. It, it's a process that leads somebody into a hypnotic trance state. Um, and, and we're in a hypnotic trance all the time, about 90% or 95%, some people say, of our waking hours, we're in a hypnotic trance. That just means we're paying attention to one thing and we're not paying attention to everything else around it. So it's a focus of attention. And and hip, the process of hypnosis is anything that causes you to go into a trance reading a book, watching a great movie, driving a car, uh, just some examples of things, deep prayer, deep meditation, 
um, deep concentration on anything. They're all hypnotic. And it's based on the idea that we have four major brainwave states. We're, we're up here right now, the three of us, in beta, in beta state. That's about 20 hertz for the engineers and scientists out there. Down here is sleep, um, delta. And so when you say, I'm going to sleep, what you're really saying is, I'm going to leave my waking state and I'm going to my sleep state. But the only way you can get there is to go through these two intermediates. These are the magic of hypnosis and meditation and prayer and other things that people do. So you're, you're not awake. You're not asleep either. You're in between. You're in the twilight zone. So this is alpha, kind of relaxed. Anytime you relax, you go from 20 hertz down to 10 hertz. If you go deeper, you go into theta. That's deep trance. That's 5 hertz. So your brain is actually slowing down. And when you get to sleep, it's an average about two and a half hertz. So it's a, it's a process slowing down. And when you wake up, you go delta, theta, alpha, back to beta again. So you got to go through them. So we're in the hypnotic states twice a day, every day. When we go to sleep, when we wake up, we're, we're, we're going through those. The difference is they're normally pass-throughs. We don't stay there. And, and states are like anything else that we do. There are things you can do when you're asleep that don't happen when you're awake. Your body can repair itself in a way that it can't for some reason while we're awake. You can do things when you're awake that obviously that you can't do when you're asleep. And, and the same is true with alpha and theta. There are things you can do in each one of those states that you can't do otherwise. So hypnosis is a process where I say, I can't hypnotize anybody. You can hypnotize yourself. And what you do to do that is you get out of your daily waking state. And you have to do that. I can't do it. I'll make it easy. I'll put some uh, beautiful music on in my office. I'll turn the lights down low. I'll speak in a nice, quiet voice. Uh, but you got to get out of what it means you got to relax. As soon as you do, it opens the gateway up for me to speak directly to the unconscious. So we got a conscious mind and an unconscious mind. The value of the conscious mind is it makes decisions. Unconscious doesn't make any decisions at all. It's waiting to be told, what do you want from me? It has a job of running our body. It's the body's mind. And it, it breathes, beats our heart, and flutters our eyelids, and all those things that it automatic in the background runs every system we have, digestive, circulatory, uh, reproductive, um, endocrine, uh, respiratory, immune system, all in the background. We don't have to do a thing about it. It keeps our temperature at 98.6. You know, if we get into a cold room, it'll contract the capillaries on the surface to keep the blood deeper inside. We'll radiate heat. We go outside where it's real hot, opens up those capillaries so we can let the heat out. You know, all that's happening in, in, as a result of this unconscious. It's the doer. It's, a, it's the accomplisher of things. And it'll accomplish almost anything we ask it, but it won't do it until we ask it. It's got a big job. We've got 50 trillion cells in our body, according to Dr. Bruce Lipton, who wrote this fabulous book, The Biology of Belief. 
And, and it's in a first-name basis with all 50 trillion of those cells. All cells need four things. They need food, they need water, they need oxygen, they need waste removal, like all living creatures, you know. And so the unconscious is checking with them. What do you want? What do you need here? You need a little, little more of this, a little less of that, or whatever. And and it's able to do... An, we don't know how many things it can do simultaneously. It's a, it's in the trillions, but we, we don't really know. So if you want it to... To say, look, I'm, I'm biting my fingernails and I really don't want to do that anymore. That habit is stored in the unconscious. It, 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 it got there because we started doing something over and over and over and over. And when you repeat something, the unconscious says, I tell you what, I'll do that for you. You wouldn't have to think about it anymore. You've done it so many times. I know you're going to do it. Just let me do it. I'll, I'll take over from here. And that's why people bite their nails. They're not even aware of it anymore because it's 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 coming out of a uh, of a habit. So it's it's just um, really important that people learn how to speak to their unconscious mind. If it's something they want it to do for them, there's a certain way you have to communicate with it. It doesn't understand words. If you do words on it, it'll, it'll be something like, um, Bruce, I could, you could tell me something, and I could say, Bruce, I could not hardly fail to disagree with you less. And, and we'd say, does that mean you agree, or does that mean you don't agree? <laughs> and I'm not really sure either. It's a quadruple negative. I don't know how you make sense out of it. But, but so, so the unconscious says, speak to me in raw sensory data. I need to know what you want. I'm not going to do anything until you tell me what you want. And the way you tell me is you got to give me a picture. So pictures and affirmations, because I know that that's something that you've been really big on as well. So it's if I am correct, it's not, it's affirmations. Affirmation is a statement. An affirmation is a question. The question part is the one that I use. Because if you affirm something that you're saying something is true i am a fantastic interviewer and if that's not true yet if you're just learning to do interviewing your conscious mind uh, you know will say that and your unconscious says that's not true yet i might be in the future but it's not true yet i don't believe that i'm not letting it in and so affirmations can get cut short of getting into our unconscious because it's it's in a form of something that's not true and and the, there's a barrier there to get you know to get in there. Um, if you ask a question, how is it that I'm a better interviewer now than I was last month, or how is it that I'm going to be a better interviewer next month than I am right now? Now that's a question. Your conscious mind doesn't have anything to say about that. I don't know. Your unconscious say, I'll find out for you. I'll go find mm -hmm. out all the reasons why that could be true. And it just starts feeding them back to your conscious mind for either accept or reject whatever whatever it wants to do. So and, and so you quoted you quoted like Earl Nightingale and that instantly started to make me think of the the popular motivational speakers and that they've been using this 
the entire time. And then there's also something that you you've brought up in um, in some of the documents that uh, that you I'm so grateful that you shared with me mm-hmm. is the cancel is it the cancel 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 method, right? And that is to you know as as you're creating and help help us understand this right affirmations. You're creating these. You're you're asking these questions, but then your subconscious has these negative thoughts that are constantly coming there to basically right. break that down. And then that cancel cancel method. Could you maybe explain exactly what the um, you know what that is doing and what you are doing again to put this in practice for yeah. the common man? Well, it's called labeling. Um, the um... Let me give you an example uh, with a with a uh, I have I have a, a lot of golf clients here in Florida and, and um, so um, they um, they hit a golf ball and what I tell them to do is I want you to watch where the ball ends up is this where you wanted it to go. If it is, you say, great, or excellent, or fabulous, or some word like that that you like to use. Now, if you hit another golf shot, and it and it goes off in the, way off in the rough, or into a sand trap, or whatever, you say, um, garbage, or crap, or <laughs> worthless, or whatever. So, so what you're doing is teaching your unconscious the difference between a good golf shot and a bad golf shot. And that's a little like two folders in our unconscious. The bad shots go in this folder, the good shots go in this folder. So as you load those folders up with, with shots from drivers and putters and sand wedges and six irons and all, all that, you know, and, and you're just labeling. Every time you hit a golf shot, you label so that the unconscious begins to build up an understanding and an appreciation of the difference. If you don't label it, all these golf shots just go into your unconscious. There is a big root like that, you know, and you say, okay, I'm getting ready to hit a six iron. Get me a, get me a six iron shot. Well, just go grab one, you know, it doesn't know it's a good one or not a good one. Now you've got them segregated so you can tell. So, so the unconscious really likes labeling. Well, if you start using that cancel, cancel, then that means disregard, reject, uh, ignore, uh, oops. You can a lot of people <laughs> like oops is what the word they use, and, and it's just a way of letting your unconscious know I, I made a mistake. I, di- I didn't mean that. I, I don't. I don't want that. And it, that's all it is. It's just just a, a labeling process so that your unconscious your unconscious is almost like a, a child and if you want it to learn something you got to do some things that will accelerate the learning process uh, or you can do things that are very confusing um, if if you say I want to be a success your unconscious has no idea what you're talking about because what success means to you and what it means to me is totally different. So it says, show me a picture of what success looks like to you. And, and then I'll then I'll be, be able to understand it. 
So you pick a picture that represents you being successful. And you put some strong, positive feelings, the emotion that goes with that picture is a very important part of it. And then you start doing that over and over and over and over again. That's the repetition, which if we were learning a sport, we'd call that practice. Well, in, in this field, we just call it repetition. And that's what embeds it into your unconscious mind and makes a habit out of it. And a habit just means unconscious, take charge, take care of it. So, so you say, all right, I want to be a success. And you make a picture. And it's got a strong feeling of, yes, boy, that's good. I have joy. I'm happy. I'm motivated. I'm excited. But you only do it one time. Well, guess how good a piano player you'd be if you practice one time, you know? <laughs> you got The repetition is a key aspect of what this is all about. And when you start doing that same picture over and over and over, eventually the unconscious say, oh, you, you want me to do that for you? Okay, fine. I can do it. I got it. Don't worry about it. You don't have to do that anymore. And that's why I picked 65 nights that I want my clients to listen to this file, this CD or flash drive that I make for them. It's about 30 minutes long. And I say, I want you to listen to this for 65 nights. That gives me about 30 hours of programming their neurology and installing this new behavior pattern that they've asked for right there. You know, so it's kind of like the program you have stored there for how to drive a car. For a while, you had to really concentrate on that and think, okay, left foot in, right foot, and I got to watch the rearview mirror, and I got to watch the speed, and I don't know where, where am I going, I got to watch the turn signals off. But after a while, you practice, practice, practice. Now you do it, and you don't even think about it. It's a, it's a program that's stored in your unconscious. When you get in a car and turn on the key, the program pops out. And it drives for you. So you carry in a conversation, listen to the radio, think about where you're going, what you're going to do. You're not thinking about driving anymore. That's an automatic, habitual behavior that you have stored. and Because and, you put it there, you know. And, and that's all we're doing when we learn anything else. Babies, now they look around. I these people vertical up there, and they're moving around really fast. Here I am down on the floor crawling around, and I want to... I wanna, I don't do like what they're doing. Well, I, 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 I got to find something. I got to pull myself up on a table leg or something. And I let go, plop, fall down. That's not a failure to the baby. That is feedback that I didn't do it very well. So they pull up again. And they get, and finally, they get the balance part of it, you know, and they're, they're able to let go. And, whoa, I'm, I'm doing it. And then, okay, now I got to take a step. Well, they take a step, plop, you know, down they go again. And babies fall probably thousands of times learning to walk. And it's That's a, good a really that great. Are not the ones learning to walk because we fail a couple of hundred times, we're ready to quit. <laughs> you know, the babies don't give up; they just keep right on going because they. I think that's a drive. Yeah, I'm going to succeed. I'm going to do this thing. Yeah, and that's like a really great. That's actually a really great example, um, Nick. I didn't know if you had a had a question or. Yeah, I, I had one question. The um, so you've talked a lot about obviously neurosensory, the senses that are, are helping to program the subconscious. Is it possible right. 
to, you know, reprogram or, or tell the subconscious anything without your senses. Again, you said before that the, the subconscious can't think on its own. So is the way that, that you're able to make it think by using senses to, again, give it a, a green or a red light, essentially? That's, that's the programming is, is a series of pictures and feelings that are repeated. And once you do that, now the, the picture can be a video. It can be quite uh, involved, you know, about here's what my success looks like. And, and you might picture a whole round of golf, for example, or, or, or whatever it is that you want to be successful at. And you put those strong feelings with it and you repeat that. Now, you don't have to repeat exactly the same video, but it's got to be the same subject matter and, and similar, and, you know. Now, then we can get into submodalities where we can say, it, if I ask somebody to, uh, I had a guy who came in, he said, I want a red Ferrari convertible. I said, great, I think that's a great idea. So um, do you have a picture of, of the success you're looking for? Oh, yeah, I do. He said, I can see, you know, here's that red Ferrari going down the road. I'm in there. My hair's blowing back in the wind and my little scarf is fluttering. And, and I got this big smile on my face and I'm just driving this beautiful red Ferrari down the road. I said, that's interesting. Uh, that is a way to have a vision of success. But here's the problem. To your unconscious, some other guy has got the car that you wanted. He looks just exactly like you. But if you really want to solidify this, step into that body. Now you're behind the wheel. You're the driver of this car. You're not watching somebody else drive it. You are the driver. Now what do you see? He said, well, I don't see anything. And I said, you mean you get in the car that you're going to drive and you shut your eyes? You don't know. What do you see? Well, I, I guess I just see the hood of the car. I said, Exactly. You see this big red hood out there in front of you, maybe the top of the steering wheel, and your hands may be on the, on the steering wheel, uh, maybe a little bit of the dashboard. You can see the rearview mirror. So, so, so that picture, now all of a sudden your unconscious says, oh, th this is us? We got the, oh, man, that's a different thing altogether. Now I've got two views of the same thing. One is associated. I'm in my body. One's dissociated. I'm out of my body. That's how my success looks to other people. Well, both of those views are very helpful to the unconscious. Now it's got two ways to understand what success looks like uh, for you, you know. So everybody's got a way of remembering things. And when I ask them, and, and a lot of people always remember associated. They're always in their body. They're look, they can't see themselves because they're looking out through their own eyes. And other people almost always remember it um, dissociated. They see themselves up on the stage or making a sale or driving a car or driving a boat or whatever it is they want, but they're not in their body. And so their unconscious doesn't ever quite make the connection. Oh, you know, I'm watching somebody else do what you want to do. So, so we break that down sometimes to say the picture that you make, it's a video or a snapshot, is in color or black and white. One of those is going to have more impact on you than the other is. Is it framed or is it panoramic? 
Is it way off in the distance or is it real close? Is it size of an iPhone or a computer screen or a TV screen or a movie screen or an iMac screen? So the size of it can make a difference. So, so we deal with some of these submodalities and say, play with this thing until you find the combination that is most impactful to you and that's the one you want to use. And it'll be different for different people. You know, some people real close, that's good. Some people way out distance, that's that's the way they uh, get more motivated. So it, we just want so, individual. And and so uh, like a bit of what you're and you correct me if I'm wrong too, but so we're able to tell so our subconscious speaks or understands in the way of pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to the example of the Ferrari, it's a bit of that practice and it's almost like a transcendental meditation, meditative state, would you say? Uh, or a mix a mix if, in there? If you're out of your beta beta wave waking, normal everyday waking state, you're very relaxed and you're getting into this picture, you're really focusing on what's the picture look like, all minute details of the picture. I I tell people, what are you wearing in this picture? You know, are are you with a coat and tie or a golf shirt or or a bathing suit or what? You know, you have to get to that level of detail and and just really press it and, you know, and, and go down into that level so that the pictures begin to inform the unconscious about what it is that you want. And it'll try its best to get that for you. It never goes to sleep. Unconscious awake 24-7, and it's working on these things while you're sleeping, while you're thinking about something else. It's working on solving this problem, along with running all these programs in the background and all these systems and, and taking care of all these cells and all it, it it has unlimited. The conscious mind can only do one thing at a time. It's very slow, comparatively slow. It gets bored. It gets overwhelmed. It gets confused. It gets, um, you know, um, tired. Um, so it, it has, but it's the decider. The real accomplishment of the conscious mind is it'll decide. It'll say, I want this i don't want that the unconscious can't do it now the unconscious sitting here saying okay you've decided um here's a problem that people get into somebody will look down see a little bit of a paunch on their tummy and say man i'm gaining a little bit of weight here um i think i'm going to give up dessert i'm not going to eat any more dessert so that's what the conscious mind does it makes decisions appropriate Meanwhile, the unconscious is sitting back here saying, wait a minute, I love dessert. Well, you, you, just, you just made a decision. You didn't inform me. You didn't ask my opinion. You just decided I'm going to do it. Okay, you take something away from me that I like, I'll take something away from you. We'll two can play that game. And by the way, I don't ever go to sleep. So here I meet Bruce, and I say, okay, I got, I got that face. I know and that's Bruce. So next time I see him, I can say, hey, Bruce, how you doing? So you come back into my life. And I say, hey, what's your name there? I, you know, buddy. <laughs> and so you leave. And, and the unconscious says, that was Bruce. 
and said, why in the heck didn't you give it to me while he was here? I could just, and he said, I told you I was going to take stuff away from you. And you take stuff away from me. I'm going to take stuff away from you. So let's don't get a battle started. Uh, and, and a lot of people are really hard battles going on between their conscious and their unconscious all the time. Part of what I do is help them get in better rapport with themselves. You know, that, that's the problem is that they're at war inside their own um, their own system is, is at war. So we have to kind of calm that down and get... So, so I, I work medical. I do a lot of medical, a um, lot of knee replacement work going on here in Florida. So I had a person um, going in for knee surgery. Um, and so they get into the operating room, they're anesthetized, and the surgeons take out the scalpel and cut a big slice down the front of their knee, pull the skin back over, and they uh, expose all that, and they get a saw out. You know, they're cutting the knee off, you know. The unconscious is not asleep. It, it stays awake all the time. It's the conscious mind that gets anesthetized and put to sleep. So, so after the operation, that unconscious comes back and says, hey, uh, did you know anything about this? That they were going to cut my knee off here? Oh, yeah, yeah, I knew it. Yeah, we planned as a surgery thing. And you didn't say a word to me about it? What kind of a friend are you anyway? I, I need to be prepared for stuff. You plan ahead. I don't know anything about these long-range plans you got. If you didn't give me any pictures of it, you probably never made a picture. You didn't know what it was going to look like anyway. But you didn't say anything. So how do you expect me to, to – I'm going to go into shock. You know, that's my reaction is, you know, have, um, I don't know. I think maybe we're in a dark alley and some guy with a knife has cut our leg off. I don't know what's happening. So so the communication area between conscious and unconscious can be vastly improved just by being aware that if, if you want to be prepared, Make sure you get let your unconscious know what's getting ready to happen and and what you expect from it. So what I do with my clients before, if I catch them beforehand, but before the surgery, I say I want you to plan a going away party for your old knee. I want you to invite all the parts of your body that you think would be appropriate to be at this party, and you're gonna give a speech. Um, you're going to serve refreshments, and um, you're going to decorate, and uh, it's going to be a real party. And you're saying you get an early retirement. I'm not angry with you or anything. I just wanted to let you know that you get an early retirement. And we got a replacement coming in, probably not as handsome as you are and all that, but it'll be made out of metal and plastic. <laughs> it'll do the job. And, and so I just want you to know that's what, what's going to happen. So, so then the surgery happens. Uh, unconscious is prepared. It knows, okay, this part of the body's going away forever, and we're getting a replacement. First thing you do is have a welcome party for the new knee. And you've you got to do a lot to make it feel like a part of the team because it's metal and plastic. It's not muscle and bone and tendons and, and ligaments and sinews and all that. No, no nerves in there at all. You gotta have all those uh, parts say welcome. Well, I'm glad you're on the team. I'll get to know you. I'll introduce myself. I'll, 
and and you know, and we'll be working together. I'm the quad muscles. I'm the hamstring. I'm the calf muscle. I'm the whatever, and how this all hooks in. And and um, you, you you talk it through with them, just like you would a welcoming a new member of any team. You know, or if, who you introduce them to the right people, and and say, by the way, there's a great coach right over in the other leg, because that knee knows exactly how you're supposed to work. Now, your muscles know when you're attacked, you go into a spasm. So they tighten up. So your rehab, when you go there, is not for the D, it's for the muscles. Because they have just been attacked, and they just tighten up and say, I'm going to mobilize this area. I don't want it to move at all. That's what bodies do automatically. you got to talk them into beginning to get back that ease of motion and that stretch, you know, you got to do a hundred percent extension and 135% flexion, I believe something like that before they'll let you out. And so those muscles don't want to move. And if you don't move them, scar tissue will form and you'll get adhesions and then they put you to sleep and they forcefully bend your knee for you and that that ain't a good time at all so take advantage of the rehab and make it make it work for you you know you got to learn how to do it and i teach them how to get the most out of rehab so it's just a lot as you begin to see in my practice a lot of this is conversing with yourself interesting just make it you're, you know what's happening, that you keep yourself informed, conscious and unconscious. Here's what's getting ready to happen. Or here's what I want from you, and here's a picture of it, and I'm going to give it to you over and over and over again with these strong emotions of desire so that you know I'm serious. And as soon as you can, take over and work on it for me. Fantastic. I, I have a question. How, how does memory play into that conversation between conscious and subconscious. For example, the, the visualization, right? You really want a Ferrari. You did a fantastic job of explaining, you know, picture yourself there, sensory wise, in the, the exact seat, the small details matter. Um, let's say somebody wants that, right? They want that Ferrari. And obviously that, that speaks to my world, but, um, would, would it make yeah. sense for, for you to tell that person, Hey, go rent a Ferrari for one day. So that you, you actually get all the senses, you know, real rent that far for one day. That way, when you visualize it, the visualization will be stronger. Does the, does the memory part of it strengthen the visualizations or does that not play a part? Oh, absolutely. I think that's a fabulous idea. I never even thought about it. You go rent, rent one and, you know, and, and physically, now, now you're putting stuff into muscle memory and visual memory. The unconscious is like a big hard disk. That That is the memory. So if you get something on there, you never forget it. Now, people who study, they're in school and they're studying, what they're really doing is loading information into their unconscious. And that takes repetition to do it. That's why you can't just read something one time, unless you've got a photographic memory of something and you... But but you repeat, that's what study is, is doing this over and over and over. So now when you get in a test situation and say, what's the capital of Minnesota? Well, if you never put it in there, the answer is not going to be there. But you could put it in there and not be able to recall it. People say, oh, I don't remember what I put it there and I don't remember. Well, yes, you do remember. It's there. It'll never go away. 
you may or may not have access to it. That's the recall part. So, so I work with people about recall. But that, that loading up as much information as you can get onto that hard disk, that all helps to make this thing uh, come true. The interesting thing is um, there's no memory in the conscious mind. It doesn't, it doesn't remember anything. It's just, a, it's just an operating processor that looks at stuff and, and decides what it wants to do or not want to do, makes choices, makes decisions. It's very logical, very methodical, can do one thing at a time, just one, step two, step three, step four. It can follow a, a pattern like that. Um, but but the, 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 real, um, the real driver that makes things happen is, is the unconscious. It's the one that once it knows what you want, it starts working on how to get that. And it'll work night and day until it, it it's a manifestation process for people that believe in the in, in that side of it. What you're really doing is you're saying, here's a picture of what I want, and here's how bad I want it. And that's the, the emotional desire that you put in with it. And I'm gonna repeat it enough so that you know that I'm really serious and I want you to do this for me. And then it it goes out and starts figuring out ways that we never would even dream of. It has ways. Uh, one of it's called the RAS, the Reticular Activating System. It's a little knob at the top of the spine, base of the brain. And when you get a, a what's called a dominant thought, that's a that's a picture with these emotions on it. We call it a dominant thought. That turns on the RAS. It's like a radio. It's got a, a, a dial that you can change the stations and find one, and it's got a volume control. You can make it real loud or make it real soft. The RAS operates automatically once you get a, a, a dominant thought. So, so Nick, for example, you got somebody coming in and says, I want a, I want a red Ferrari convertible. And, uh, and and I, I really, that, that's my dominant thought. That's what I want to put in there, and I'm going to repeat that, 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 that I get this. That turns on the RAS, and the RAS says, I'm going to look around, and if there's anything that I see that looks like it might help you get that Ferrari, I'm going to turn the volume up on that thing. It's just going to pop out of the of the visual field so you'll see it or it's gonna pop out of the auditory field so you'll hear it. So back in the day, I don't know if, if you, um, I don't know how, what your age is, but when the VW Beetle first came out, they were orange and they cost $1,995. And I bought one of them and I thought, I'm gonna be the first person in town, a little town, Aiken, South Carolina, where I'm from, I'll be the first person to have one of these cars. It's going to be so great. So I get, I buy the car. I'm driving out of the showroom, and I look up, and there's orange VW Beetles all over the place. I just, I just see, they were there the whole time, but the RAS had not turned the volume up on them because they weren't particularly important. As soon as something's important, wham! Boy, that just it's just going to pop it out. So, so if you can plant that seed on people who want a particular vehicle, get them to visualize themselves 
in that uh, car, and like like you say, go go rent one for a, a day and 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 get you know see see what it looks like when you're in it, get the feel of it, that the, the sound when the door slams, you know that nice satisfying mm-hmm. click that it makes so very smooth, and and um, the RAS is just going to start saying. Oh, I saw a newspaper article about what they're having a sale on these things. Or I, I, uh, there's a TV program about uh, how to get the most enjoyment out of this uh, vehicle that just came out. You know, we got a convertible that we never had before. And so it'll just start popping stuff out. Now, that stuff is there. It's been there all along. But until it was really important to that individual, it, it didn't register. It just kind of... You know when you're driving along and you see these spinners, they got these signs and they're turning them over and they're flipping them back and forth. The reason for that movement is that they found out if that guy just stood up there and held this sign out in front of him like that, you'd blow by there and never even pay any attention to it. He'd be part of the background. Um, but if he jiggles it a little bit, whoa, what is that? You know, you look over and, and then you see it. So, so what we're learning is how do we, how do we create an interest in something? It's with pictures, and and if you got a moving picture, it creates more interest than a still picture does. It's just the way our system. Yeah, works. absolutely, absolutely. Well, I, I know we are uh, we're coming on time. I wanted to ask a a two part question. I've got two more left that that are a little bit different. Um, so one susceptibility. I know that there's, you know, some some talk of, you know, some people are more susceptible to hypnosis versus not. We're just curious if you could comment on that and, and maybe the validity of it. And then secondly, just as kind of a parting thought for our listeners, what what you think the average person, you know, maybe should use hypnosis for in their daily life? Like what's again, I know everybody has a million things that they that they want to accomplish, but maybe an easy one that they can achieve themselves or something small that they could achieve, uh, achieve themselves. Okay. Um, going back to the first one, um, I, I have people who, I, I never understood this exactly. They come to see me and they say, I don't think you can hypnotize me. And and I I kind of feel like well then why are, why are you here? So um, I say well it's true um, there are degrees of susceptibility to hypnosis. Some people are very very hypnotically sensitive, other people not so much. But um, my idea is that there are two groups of people that would be very difficult to hypnotize and and you may fall into one of those groups and uh, the first group is people who have an iq below 80 and the second group would be hard drug uh, uh, users uh, which group are you in you know and I say, well, I'm, I'm not in either one of those groups i said well you've got a driver's license you got here so you drove here in a hypnotic trance so you you've already been hypnotized you make we don't call it that, but that's what it really is. That any process that that causes you to get into uh, this alpha theta state and and start operating automatically that's a that's a trance state. Um, so um, I guess I don't have as much trouble with with that in that I've never had any 
client that didn't go really into a nice trance with the way I do it. Now, I've got four hours. I, I'm not using instant inductions that, that a lot of the stage people, stage hypnosis uses. You know, they're really fast. And that's why a lot of times they'll get 40 people on the stage and wind up sending 20, 20 of them back to sit in the audience again because they're not very susceptible. And so they don't want those people. They, they don't make a good show. They might be able to be hypnotized if you had long enough, but they want fast. They want to get along, you know, get with it and, and move along. So, so yeah, there are degrees, uh, definitely. Um, I think that the productive use of our imagination is really where hypnosis is. If you say you've got to imagine this picture of your success, um, a lot of people use their imagination for horribly negative stuff. They always imagine the worst thing that could possibly happen. You know, how's this going to fail? And they got a beautiful picture of that. Well, guess what? They're inviting the failure. So got a golfer. He's getting ready to tee off. I said, wait a minute, before you hit the ball, what are you thinking about right now? Well, it's a big water hazard all the way down the left-hand side of the fairway. I said, yeah, there is. Um, so what? And he said, well, I'm going to hit my ball into the water. I said, you are? He said, yeah, I, I know that I am already. I said, so you've done that before? Yeah. So you know what it looks like? So so I'm I'm getting to him to describe his dumb thought. So the ball, you, you, you've seen it happen. Yeah, I can even tell you what it sounds like. Bloop. <laughs> the ball's going in the water. So how do you feel when that happens? Oh, get some man on. I break my clubs up, and who oh, I'm going to give up? Golf. I'm never going to throw my clubs on the bushes. Out. I said. So you got strong emotion, and you've done that many times, right? In the past, I said, yeah. Guess what? You just taught yourself how to hit the ball in the water. You didn't mean to, but that's the, the, it's a picture with strong emotions. It gets repeated. Your unconscious says, oh, you keep doing that. I guess you want me to do it for you. <laughs> I'll be glad to. So where would you want to hit the ball? Right down the fairway. You ever do that before? Yeah. How's that feel? Man, that feels great. I love that. And you've done that many times before. Yeah. you got another dominant thought. It just doesn't happen to overpower the one where water's involved. <laughs> that, that one's got another one that, that takes precedent. So um, be careful what you're using your imagination for. Because when you imagine something, it's... Uh, and, and I'd like to read a sentence out of a, of a book that I just bought about some hypnotic language. Your conscious mind can easily follow the words that I'm saying, but your unconscious, mind you, has a tremendous ability to imagine new and unique ways to accomplish your desired outcomes. And what makes that hypnotic is that I just gave you a bunch of commands in there that were called um, well, there's a term that they they use for it. It's 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 below your conscious awareness. It, you were following the words that I was saying when I said your your conscious mind can follow the words I'm saying, but, and then I paused a minute and I said you're unconscious. That was a command 
to go into a hypnotic trance. You're un, you are unconscious. <laughs> you know, you're a, 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 the difference between your unconscious and you're a, you are unconscious is pretty uh, mushy right there. It says uh, you, it, it has the unconscious has a tremendous ability to. And then I stopped again and I said, imagine unique new ways. That's another embedded command. So mm. I've already given you two uh, two commands uh, from a neuro linguistic program. They're they're hidden in the larger context of of a sentence, but I just put a a couple of commands in there that will help you do. So I guess to answer your last question, be aware of the fact that you have this fabulous tool called imagination. We're the only creatures that have that that we know of. And just be sure that you're using it productively to bring you the joy and the happiness and the success and the peace and you know, that you want in your life and not use it to imagine every possible thing that could keep you from getting that and just make your life a, a, a living hell. Really, people just terrorize themselves with their imagination. Mark Twain said, in my lifetime, I have survived numerous disasters. A couple of them actually happened. So <laughs> we just do ourselves in all the time. <laughs> oh, I, um, Dr. Art, I, I, I think that this is a fantastic place to, to stop. And I, I'm also really well aware of a lot of the, the medical pieces uh, of your work and um, you know, I, I think that we're going to have to have a have a part two because that part is really incredible as well. Um, but I know that we're wrapping up on time and sure. um, yeah. Nick, if there's uh, uh, if there's nothing else on your side, um, then well, I think that this is I a fantastic like both for inviting me to be on. This has been a, a real joy for me. I, I, I love talking about uh my profession and hypnosis and nlp and i'd be happy to come back and do um do some talk about the medical work i'm doing with people with cancer uh lyme disease uh and, and some of the other uh, autoimmune system parkinson's all those uh, because i think i've developed some protocols that would be fascinating to people like that combat warfare model uh, that's exactly where I want to bring you back on for, for a part two. Okay. That sounds good to me. <laughs> right. well, well, Dr. Art, um, as we, as we always like to end this, um, again, thank you. And thank you for being against the herd. Thank you. Bud. Absolutely. We appreciate it. And if you want to take a, a quick minute and, and, you know, plug your, your website or where people can find you, where can people find you if they want, you know, maybe their own session or, or to you know, speak with you? Sure. Um, uh, email uh, is my, my name, A-B, a middle initial B, Emrich, at Comcast.net. A-B, Emrich, at Comcast.net. And then if they wanted to text me, uh, the the, uh, the telephone number is 941-685-9622. And, and please do text ahead. If you just call, it'll show up as a spam call, and I won't be able to get it. So 
<laughs> text, I can put your name and, and number in my phone, and then we can have a conversation. Uh-huh.